competitive gamers just do their bit. On screen, viewed on stream, with hundreds, thousands of people watching from all over the world. Now we're bringing you someone quite special. A man with a talent that gets the info as to why and how these players are so good. Welcome to the Super Soul Shaker Podcast. Drax. Get ready for the next podcast. Well, hello there, everyone. How are you all doing? I have got the supposed king of the fgc interviews born free how are you my man i'm good i never i just uh my eyebrows went up then i was like king of king of what king of interviews i don't know about king of interviews i think i'm the only person who can be bothered to do them but thank you for that intro it's made me feel good well the undisputed king um yeah <laughs> undisputed yeah i like the sound of that i think there are a few people knocking on the door right now and they're doing a very good job so mm. but you are the you are the one name that does kind of come out there like you're always there at the at the recent events interviewing the big the big names the big players yeah i've sort of been around for a while as well so um a lot of the players i try to mix it up by the way i try to mix it up between the big players and the smaller players but you have to be you probably know this as a content creator you, you have to have a certain realistic outlook which is it sucks, but if you if if you get the big names, um, it's great. But you know, uh, and it brings in the numbers, and that's what's great about it. And but if you just do small names, you won't be able to bring in the numbers. So you have to get the mix right because you want to support the smaller guys and have great conversations. Uh, and so it's sort of like you're constantly trying to figure out, you know, um, how how big are how big a name do I need? In this tournament and how small a name can i also get away with because this guy is really interesting you know um and you want to sort of do your bit to support the fgc the way so um yeah i try to i try to mix it up but i think i've made a name for myself in a way that's good in that people want to talk to me which is which is a bit unusual i think like people don't love in most people don't love interviews <laughs> but you handle your um your interviews quite well with a certain integrity like the way i see your interviews is like it's almost like a backstage pass to like a box set like a big boxing event like you're interviewing them just before their big bout oh wow i've never even thought of it that way i love that like Thank it's you. more like the inside access kind of vibe um it, I, I, yeah your interviews are quite special yeah well thank you i i it's weird because you know when you're creating content you just sort of get on with it you sort of live in a bit of a vacuum it wasn't you know i went to evo this year and i didn't realize how many people kind of knew about my interviews and stuff you know watched them and what have you until i saw them and they told me and they recognized me and that's a bit weird because you do sort of live in this vacuum and when i go to tournaments uh most of the time i'm running around trying to schedule people uh or schedule people like on my on my own and that's where all the hard work is so None of it feels particularly glamorous. None of it feels like Hollywood access. Um, but when I get into the interview, I really, I really do enjoy it. And if I, when, when I do get the chance to have, you know, someone else take a bit of the 
weight off my shoulders, you know, like if I have a good translator or interpreter who's on my wavelength, that's pretty helpful. Um, if I have uh, every now and then occasionally, occasionally I'll get lucky and get like someone who's going to you know, act as the cameraman and do sound and all that stuff, so I don't have to do that myself. Then I start to feel a little bit more like the production goes up and then it starts to feel a little bit more like, you know, Access Hollywood or whatever. But uh, but yeah, I just I just just grind really. Just keep just have kept on doing it and doing it. And now, what's interesting is a number of players sort of not all, but there are some players who see see a lot of my interviews and see me see me bizarrely as like a rite of passage. You know, a sort of like oh, when I get an interview with Born Free, that means I've made it. <laughs> like I'm like I'm truly verified. Right, yeah, and it's a really odd thing because there are so many players I want to interview, and there are so many players who I respect. You know, I, you know, who I respect so much, but I don't have time to interview because I'm one man and I, I can only do so many interviews. And it's such a weird thing because you, you sometimes like nowadays I get players who come and ask me to be interviewed, right? And I'm like, well, I kind of can't because I got you know, these interviews lined up or whatever, every every tournament I go to, I try to prioritize a certain group of people. You know, I've always got a thought process behind that. And it's weird turning people down when I mass, when I respect them hugely for what they do and their grind and I know that they're about a million times better than me at Street Fighter and all that stuff. And it's like, what do I do? I just ask some questions. And I don't know, it's an, it's a, it's an odd feeling. It's not a position to be in, I guess. But it's interesting because you just said, you know, like you mentioned being a content creator. I guess in mindset, that's you looking at it as a business. You know, you just want to maximize the potential who you want to talk to at that event at what time? Yeah, well, I do and I don't. So I'm, I'm pretty bad on the business side of things. So I don't really make any money. You know, I've been trying to figure that out. Like that's something going forwards that uh, you know, as all, I think all content creators and whatever you want to call them, artists, people who are doing something non-traditional, right? You're constantly trying to figure out how do I monetize this, yeah, right? Um, so I'm, from a business standpoint, I'm not great, but from a marketing standpoint, I'm good because I used to work in marketing and advertising. So uh, I sort of understand that, yeah, I'm calculated in the sense that I have to come back from this tournament with, let's say, a taquito interview um, and a couple of other big names and then I can throw in a couple of like lesser well-known names or up-and-comers or you know somebody who did something crazy like back, uh, Canada Cup last year Timo was this Canadian uh, is a Canadian who, who at the time was like 19 or 20 and he he won uh, he beat like Justin Wong and, and uh, and Chris and all the big Marvel players to win MVCI and win one of the um, Infinity Stones. And uh, I just I had no idea who he was. He, in the, as far as I'd know, he'd never really done anything. Um, but he did that and I thought it was amazing. And I started talking to him and realized he was really good. Like the interview is really, really good in my opinion. Um, so he's the kind of person where I'll just, you know, like, okay, let me, let me see if I can do this. If I've got time to do this, I'll do this. Um, but unfortunately, it's really hard to get people to sit down and listen to those interviews. 
Um, and, you know, my stuff is long form. It's a bit like a, you know, a lot of my interviews are a bit like a podcast, I suppose, apart from I'm not really doing a huge amount of talking. I think your interviews do add something different. The fact that you catch them, I mean, interviewing them in real life, but interviewing them in a, in a big tournament setting, like the thoughts and the feelings that they're going through, you know, you really try to capture what they're going through at that moment, plus getting some general info. Yeah, I, I, I know for, you know, obviously my interviews, I know when I film them, they're not going to be out for a week or possibly two weeks, you know, depending on the order that I do them in. I go to the, this is, a lot of people don't really understand my process, right? Because, I don't know, maybe they just don't think about it, or maybe they think it, it's, or maybe they think I have access to players in, in, a, in the organized fashion that maybe League of Legends or, you know, the big esports do. But um, I mean, you've you must have been to tournaments. You know what it's like, right? Like our our tournaments are like a million games. You, there's a million rounds that you have to go through, um, and there's these people who've flown from all over the world, uh, and they you know they they might have flown from Japan. They might have had 16 hours on the plane. They might be jet lagged. They might want to spend most of their time sleeping at the tournament. Um, when they're not sleeping, they might want to be warming up, practicing, doing casuals, whatever. Uh, when they're not doing that, they're actually competing. When they're not doing that, they're eating. When they're, you know, so a tournament environment is extraordinary in the sense that it's just a few days, and all of these guys are there to win the tournament. You know, they've got stuff to do, and on top of that, they have other obligations and and people to see and socialize and all sorts of stuff. So. I usually go there, you know, with my top 10, like I'm going to get these 10 players, you know, and it used to be that I couldn't contact them beforehand. I just have to try and flag it. Uh, it. Nowadays, I've got better contacts and I can try and contact them beforehand and everything, but it, it still there's never, very rarely are there any guarantees that anyone's going to turn up at any specific time. Because most people turn up to the tournament and it's all very last minute and they don't even know when they're playing, you know? Yeah. Um, so most of the real hard work is is that, is exactly that. Is like, how the hell am I going to get this player to sit down, especially for my long form interviews, for an hour or whatever it is, and talk to me? You know, when am I going to be able to do that? And am I going to be able to walk away from this tournament with a good number? Because I like to walk away, if I can, with... 10, which is actually kind of crazy. That would be two um, weeks of worth, wouldn't it? Yeah, it is. That's like one every day, right? So for so I'll, I'll usually I'll usually go Monday to Friday, Monday to Friday, right? When I leave on the release schedule. Um, and if I'm there for three days, I'll try to get 10 interviews. Uh, and but I've I don't know. Like I've been thinking a lot recently about quality and quantity. And a lot of people see my interviews as quality. Um, but to me, they're also, it's, you know, I'm aiming for quantity as well. And the way that I go about that is that I have like a, a like five pages of preset questions that I just kind of pick and choose from, you know? Yep. yep. Um, whereas when I recently interviewed Takedo, we'd done so many interviews in the past. I really wanted to do something special with him. And so we sat down and we talked about things which really which were much more specific you know like i'd had an opportunity because he's not my favorite he's not my favorite player so i'd had an opportunity to really dig in and think about 
oh, what was he going through when he did this, when he did Kimono Michi with Daigo, and what happened at the end when he was crying, and, you know, uh, how does he feel about it now, and, you know, like, just get into their mind space, but also get into moments, you know? Like, yes. I think that's important. important. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot recently, is like, you know, what do I, what am I, what do I want to achieve? Do I, do I want to go there? Or, you know, what can I achieve at these tournaments? You know, sometimes I go with a list of 10 and I end up with two on my list of 10 and the other eight are people that I pick up just, you know, on the spot because they're wandering around and they're free. Um, so yeah, it's interesting at the moment. Like maybe in years, in, in, in a few years, it will be more organized. Certainly I know the team UYU is a team that is hyper organized. So if you ask them for an interview at a certain time, it will happen. Um, but for the other guys, it's it's the way it's usually just the way it's always been, which is just trying to make it happen somehow. Yep, eventually, eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, you know, Sundays aren't so bad because Sundays, what happens is everybody's been everyone's out of top eight unless they're in top eight, and right? they're just chilling, right? Yeah. So they're either chilling, waiting for top eight, uh, or they because. There's not many players, a lot of players don't like to put too much stress on themselves, pressure and stress before a top eight. Like they'll, pra- they'll do some practice against, you know, their, their opponent that they, who they know they're going to hit first. But they also, a lot of them tend to find more success in sort of relaxing. Um, so before top eight, Sunday is usually a good day. So you have players who either made top eight or didn't make top eight, but they're free um, unless they fly home early. Uh, and they're also not salty because that's the other thing is when they get knocked out they don't want to do an interview and you don't want to do an interview with them because they're really really salty oh, especially means, if they've just got knocked out oh man yeah i mean it means so much to them you know it means you know they're trying to make a if you can imagine they're trying to make a go of it they're trying to they're trying to make it as pro players they, they're it's you know this is their lifestyle this is the lifestyle they want and there are so many players that are on sort of dancing around on the cusp of it occasionally make top eight, top eight and then sometimes don't when they don't it hits them like a ton of bricks you know it's like another tournament that went by where they didn't make top eight it's another tournament which affects their standings another tournament which affects their sponsorship opportunities you know um and so like the salt is it's it's not it's it's major levels you know it's not just anger it's disappointment and all sorts of emotions so yeah, you, you can't interview those guys. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, so, but by Sunday, they've had a good night's sleep or they've done whatever they've done. They, you know, maybe they've gone out drinking, I don't know. But by Sunday, they usually, you can grab them. So Sunday's a good day for interviewers, usually. Yeah. Um, what made you get into this interviewing thing? Like, what caught your attention to it? <laughs> um... The reason I'm laughing is because it's it's a good question and um, the answer is kind of weird. Uh, not weird, sorry. I use weird. I use the term weird when I can't think of the right word. Um, so a couple of things happened. One was I was at the time. I mean, I still am, but like at the time, I was hugely into like event hubs was like the place to go. Right. This was back in 2011, 2012 or something. And I would go to event hubs and I would sort of read the stories and stuff. And there was this one guy, I don't even remember his name, but he would, he did a bunch of different stuff, but he would do video interviews. And, and I just, I just felt, I just felt like 
he wasn't really asking the questions that I wanted to hear the answers to, you know? Yeah. Like, I wanted to know, like, why are you good? That's basically at the part of, like, all of my interviews is, why are you good and I'm not, you know? <laughs> what, yeah. what is it that makes you so good? Like, what do you do? You know, do, do you work harder than me? Or are you just a natural talent? Like, this, I just want to know. And um, as it turns out, the answer is kind of different for each player, which is which is really interesting. Uh, but but his interviews were a little bit more like huh, like two minutes of the camera being on and like, hey, look, I'm best mates with Yipes or whatever. And that's all I took away from it was like, oh, you you're you're you you're you're in you're in with the in crowd or something, you know, like there was nothing to it no substance yeah. you know potentially potentially it might, might have been slightly entertaining but it was it just had no substance and I, I was like i need substance and then the second thing that happened so i didn't really think about doing it myself too much um until i broke up with my girlfriend and i don't know pain is like a, emotional pain is a huge motivator to actually go out and do the shit that you want to do yeah uh and so, uh, you know, I was like, well, fuck this. I'm going to go and do, I'm going to go and interview players. And, you know, like all of your fear is gone because you're just like reeling from this breakup. And so I'm just like, oh, I'll go and talk to these players and get, and I'll interview them. And if, that, you know, and I'll just tell them you've been interviewed, you know, sometimes you have to do that, by the way, you just have to tell them. Um, and uh, I interviewed like uh, Dominion and Gutex and, and that was my that was my first set of interviews, and I don't know they were just received well, and I plodded along and did lots of different content, and I still do lots of different content, but um, people know me for the interviews more than anything else, um, and they I, I don't know why that is, uh, but for some reason the interviews stand out, and uh, people seem to enjoy them. So yeah, that's sort of how it started, and then it just sort of kept going really. Tell us about the team, the team that you work with. So there's you. Um, who else helps you with um, creating this content? Uh, nobody. It is just so, me. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's just, just me. I don't have any. I don't have any money to pay anybody, and and uh, uh, I'm not very good. At, I was always brought up as. I think. My, it's funny because my dad's in New York at the moment. I was talking to him about this because he's a very independent person. And uh, I think I always grew up with this mentality of like, if I want to do something, I'll get it done and I'll do it myself, right? And I've, I don't think I've ever been good at, unless I'm put in a place, like I used to work, you know, run teams and that sort of stuff at work. But um, I've, I don't normally consider... Um, like how I'm going to get something done with a group of people. I can. I tend to think this will be easier if I just go do it myself. Yes. You know, I don't have to rely on anyone. Don't have to wait for a cameraman. You know, uh, the only uh, I would I, I would say that you know, um, interpreters have been immensely helpful to me. People. Yes. The who translators. Have been with, yeah. yeah, the translators. They they have been. There are a few now that I've worked with, um, and and some of them are, you know, professionals basically. Uh, 
so like Burnout Fighter, Kevin Burnout Fighter, um, uh, he's from your parts actually, I think. Yeah, uh, Aussie boy. Yeah, Aussie boy. Um, he's incredibly professional uh, in terms of, in they, you know, they, I think they prefer to be called interpreter, interpreters because you know there's more to it than just translating Translate directly. Translate word, right? word, yeah, man. Yeah, you got to sort of because of the language barrier, you sort of have to interpret what people are saying, and so it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing that they do. So people like Burnout Fighter will give up his time just for the FGC in the same way that I do. Uh, but there, you know, it, it's amazing when he does that. He makes himself available, and and the same goes for. Um, there's a whole bunch I could name loads, but um, but the most consistent who and uh, consistent and professional is the Burnout Fighter, and then um, Disco Vigilante, uh, who does the Japanese. He's actually living in Japan now, and those guys are amazing. Like they they. They speak in the first person, so they say "I," and they inter and they use the same inflection and enthusiasm uh, as the people that have just given the answer. And um, they're, yeah, they're incredible people. A burnout fighter. For some reason, Koreans talk for longer than the Japanese, and I don't don't know why, but they just they just do. Um, and he somehow manages to remember absolutely everything they've said. Like, like he's got like a photographic memory. Um, so, if there's anyone that does help me as as whenever when I feel like I'm part of the crew, it's those guys because they'll help me interpret, they'll help set up the interviews, they'll be on my wavelength, and like that's great. Uh, but generally speaking, no, I don't have a crew. But I think the intention for me going forwards is to see if I can yeah. work with more people. You know. Um, I can find. I recently had a, a cameraman, uh, and he did camera and sound at Defend the North, and it was brilliant because I got to use lavalier mics. I didn't have to worry about production. I got to relax. I got to have a back and forth with the players. I got to really poke away at certain things, you know, in a way that you can't with when you only have one mic because it's sort of a back and forth exchange. It's sort of like it's like Street Fighter. It's yeah. like you have to wait. For to wait for your turn you know um whereas whereas with lavaliers you're just flowing and uh so i, I want to do more of that in the future and i just teamed up with uiu as like on their stream team um and so as an organization i'm hoping that i'm hoping i don't know yet but if if i have strong proposals for them then i think it's possible i might be able to do things in a more team-like fashion which would be awesome well, since you mentioned UIU, I'm happy you mentioned that. Are you? Would you consider doing other FGC content, like for example, vlogging, or is there any other FGC content makers you'd like to work with? Uh, I, for the first question, yeah, I will do everything, and I've done everything in a way. But I will do everything. Um, I'm definitely going to get more into streaming. That's for sure. Uh, going to stream all sorts of things live. Um, and I have some big ideas. It's just a case of, you know, ideas are one thing, it's making it happen. I think that's the, the big thing. Um, vlogging, you know, like IRL, streaming possibly type vlogs. Vlogging um, for YouTube, I don't know, it depends. If, if I had an editor, because I, I suck at that, but like if someone could edit that stuff, I'd do, I, I would happily make content all day. 
uh, if I had someone who was editing. And so I'm definitely going to think about like, how could I make that work? Is that, you know, because there's not a, YouTube doesn't pay a lot, to be honest, but like no, if I can get into a group, group with somebody and they are like willing to grow with me, then, you know, maybe I can figure out some profit sharing or something like that, I don't know. Um, other YouTubers I'd like to collab with? Yeah, yeah loads, loads of people. Um, I mean, I, I, often my collabs are sort of start off by just interviewing them because, you know, they kind of deserve it for a lot of the work that they do. Mm -hmm. um, but also, you know, I'd love to do, me and Ernesto, um, Oh, Ernesto Lopez, Lopez yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we talked for a while about trying to find a skit or something to do together because I've, I've done skits in the past. Um, and so I, I think, I think, you know, once one of us actually, you know, has that light bulb moment, uh, for a skit involving the two of us that makes sense, then I, I think that's something that we'll do. I, I think I'll have to do it before he becomes too big because he's just like, his, he's found his thing and uh, he's growing tremendously Quite well. Quite big actually, and, yeah. Yeah, huge. He's doing a, he's doing a wonderful job um, and uh, yeah, really, really good. So uh, so me and him will probably have to collab before he before he's like a, you know, a new Maximilian or whatever. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> I think Ernesto is going to eventually eclipse, you know, the FGC because I feel like that kind of drama, um, he's already been doing, I've already seen him do videos which are, uh, you know, way outside, um, that are outside of the FGC, you know, like I've seen him do a video about Ninja, you know, so like, so I, I see him going in that direction, like I see him always having that FGC core but kind of growing, but yeah, there's him, there's, you know, Gerald, uh, Corey Gaming, Corey. I love. Yeah, and in a way, we, we sort of have collaborated, but in a bizarre way, like in our own sort of way. Like, I've interviewed him, right? So that that was that was at Evo, like, last year, which, which was cool. But he also, he was putting analysis videos together. And I, I remember when Bonchan, my fam most famous interview is probably when Bonchan, uh, was basically saying that the person who invented this is in season one maybe basically said that the person who invented Balrog was retarded right but it, it, <laughs> yeah. it was it was it was a un-PC translation but that's not really the point the, the point is that that interview in Japanese made it to the Japanese FGC and made it to Capcom Japan. And so, you know, it wasn't like they were hearing the translation. They heard what was being said, the real deal, mm. which was something uh, more along the lines of the person who invented Balrog has, you know, must have something wrong with it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it was kind of like his, one of his best friends who was translating. Anyway, I had a bunch of interviews where I had asked players about the game uh, because you know, it's a very contentious issue, like Street Fighter and the way it was released and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, man. And so, and I didn't work for anybody. I didn't have any sponsors or anything like that. So I could ask the questions that nobody else could ask, you know? I could say, what are your thoughts on this game? How do you feel? And it was at a time that the players were more willing to open up, open up about it. Um, and so what happened was uh, I had said to... Gerald, like, if you want to use my interviews, go ahead. And it just turned out, it turned out that he was working on a video, uh, which is now his 
the most popular video of all time, um, which is has all which has lots and lots and lots of clips from my interviews in it. So, in a way, we collaborated. Okay. You know, like I did my bit, went off and did my bit, and then like he sort of put it all together into something which well, he put it all together into like you know gave it a narrative, you know. Um, and uh, and that video was seen all over the world. I think it was called "The Consequences of, of Reducing the Skill Gap," um, but it's like it's like one and a half million views or something insane like that. Um, so yeah, there there are there is, but for sure there is lots and lots of people out there that I that I want to to collab with. Uh, it's just a question of when. It's just a question of what you know. So here's a basic question. <laughs> Do you consider yourself, because we're talking about this content, do you consider yourself, would you call yourself a YouTuber? I always call myself a YouTuber. Because um, I get called all sorts of stuff. Like, like I get people who, you know, study journalism and want to talk to me and talk to me about journalism. And I'm like, well, I mean, we can talk and I can tell you what I think, but like, I don't consider myself a journalist. I just I just make YouTube videos and um, yeah I, I guess you know it's a weird moniker because in a way it sounds very unprofessional to say that to people hmm. you know you meet meet them at what you know you know when people are networking at events and stuff it's like well I'm the social media manager for Red Bull or whatever you know and I do this and I do that and what do you do oh, I, well I'm a YouTuber um, so it, it sounds great that's for sure um, but I do consider myself a YouTuber because I'm actually I probably consider myself a content creator nowadays it sounds a bit more pretentious but like you know I'll, I'll meme it up on Twitter or, or I'll mm. put stuff out there just to test the waters and find out what's going on or I'll put information out there on Twitter um, I'm not I don't love Instagram um, but I will use YouTube and now I'm definitely you know getting into into streaming so i think of myself as content creator but it could be anything i i love skits so that is by far my favorite thing to do is make skits and bizarrely my most liked thing like when i throw a skit out that will get like a thousand likes in and it blows my mind you know how many people will decide that because they're enjoying it they're going to hit the like button you know yeah um uh but uh there's a lot of other stuff that I've done a lot of other stuff that I'm willing to do so yeah I don't I try not to box myself in too much I definitely don't think of myself as just an interviewer you know yeah um how do you was there a particular interview you've done that you've regretted or that you've wished you had approached differently yeah uh I interviewed Moke and um I tried, it was an experiment. I failed forwards, I think, you know, like I learned from it. A lot of people watched the interview and were fine with it. They enjoyed it. But for me, it wasn't my best. And um, I knew it. And then some douchebag came on and decided to comment, you know, use it as an example of why he hated me. Um, YouTube, you know, it's my favorite thing is YouTube comments. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> no, in, in, on the whole, people are really awesome uh, because they see the work I put in. But every now and then, somebody, if they see a slight vulnerability, 
they're ready there to sort of twist the knife, you know? Um, but Moke was, the problem with it was that he was, he plays two games, right? So he plays Dragon Ball and he plays Street Fighter. And I was covering Dragon Ball and Street Fighter and I was like, well, let me try and do both games. And I did it in the wrong way. I've since found out a better way of doing it, which I did with um, Momochi and a few other players who play both games. But I would go question by question and the flow would get ruined because I would go, okay, here's a question for Street Fighter. And they would finish the question, you know, answering the question. And I would say, and now the same question for Dragon Ball. You know, because they're not, a lot of the questions aren't too dissimilar. You know, it's like, yeah. why'd you pick your team? You know, why'd you pick your team? Why'd you pick a character? You know, like, I'm always interested in that stuff. And, um, well, what do you think about the game? What do you want, you know, there are some really basic questions that open up some really interesting answers. You know, they they can they can be, my questions can be very similar interview to interview, but the answers can be, you know, amazingly different. Uh, that's what's important is the answers, I think. Um, so I just, I, I felt like I really messed up the interview in terms of the flow. It didn't feel like it was flowing. And um, the other thing was Moke didn't watch Dragon Ball, the anime, which, you know, uh, at the time I had only interviewed people who'd watched the anime. So the references so got, and all the, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, so I, I kind of got into a certain swing for Dragon Ball interviews. And it was really weird because for me, it was the first time I was like, oh crap, I. I have to approach the the Dragon Ball interviews in a completely different way, because because all the fun in the initial Dragon Ball interviews was yeah here's the game and here's all the game stuff. But when we talked about like your love for the anime, there was something really amazing about that, you know, you know, uh, and still is like what one of the uh, you know Kazunoko just won. Um, just win. He won in, in Taiwan, right? Mm. Uh, and he also won a Dragon Ball. A Dragon Ball. Yeah, you know, the first. Yeah, first Dragon Ball, the Dragon Ball Tour at Tia, I think it was. So, so Kazunoko is this really interesting chap. But what was interesting is he started winning when he picked uh, picked uh, Yamcha on his team, right? After the balance patch, which kind of made Vegeta's assist not so good, whatever. And uh, if you go back to my original interview with him, way back when they first, when the Japanese first came to America at final round to play Dragon Ball, when we talk about the fun side of Dragon Ball, I asked him, what's your favorite character? And he said Yamcha. And he wasn't playing Yamcha at the time. So, you know, I find that stuff fascinating because like, if you have a connection to a character, it means everything. Look at Bonchan and Saga, you know, Sagat right now. Like, it's insane. Like, for him to pick Sagat against, uh, against, you know, in real competition recently after only two weeks against Takedo, who's, you know, arguably, you know, the best player in the world, the, the most consistent. Yeah. Yeah, right? So, you know, Takedo is a Kuma. Uh, yeah, Bonchan is Sagat, you know, uh, um, Daigo was Ryu and then got super depressed because Ryu was, you know, wasn't strong and then moved on to Guile and now he's happier. And he used to play a Guile back in the day as well. As well. 
Um, but a lot of players have strong emotional connections to characters, and when they're not able to play those characters, quite often for them there's something missing. And then when the character turns up, they make it work. There's an added incentive, a bonus. And you would think that this wouldn't be the case for professional players, right? You'd think, nah, they're all business, like, no chance. But it's so true. And I just go back to that interview. He wasn't playing Yamcha at the time because Yamcha, I don't think he felt was strong or viable. And then after like the, the update, he felt Yamcha was viable and he threw Yamcha. He's still like one of the few players who plays Yamcha, right? Yeah. And he threw, he threw Yamcha into his team. And um, it's just such an amazing thing to to see. So. Anyway, sorry, that was a long, long story about like emotional connection. To no, no, it was but, good. It was but, good. It is something that most professional players don't consider. But you're right. There's something really unique. Like as you said, Bon Chan and Sagata was like, he is the king for a reason. Oh. Both of them hand in hand. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he was waiting for Sagat so long. He was really worried about how the character was going to turn out. But the character turned out really well, and he he basically said within like one day. It was just pure fun. Like playing, playing his character was just pure fun. He was loving it, and um, and to see him like already trying to use that character in competition because he had initially said that he was going to play, play it safe. He was going to play Nash or whatever, and and just try and qualify for Capcom Cup. But to see him like break out, break out his character against Tito was like so hype. And um, and I think from now on, you know, he's just going to keep plugging away at the character, and and it. You know, hopefully it will really work out for him because it's it's exciting to see when you see it, somebody with their own character. It's just great. But yeah, with with uh, you know, sorry, circling back, but I, I felt like the Mokay interview wasn't that great. Um, and I've I've had interviews in the past that where you get a bit like people who are a bit like yes no yes no yes no yes no, and it's awful because you know you might just have t- ten questions and if it's a yes if they're like yes no yes no yes no you're done in like two minutes. Hmm. And you're like, you're like, this is not going to look good for anyone. It's not going to look good for the player. It's not going to look good for me, and it's not going to look good for the FGC. Hmm. So I have actually, in the past, uh, taken interviews. Not many, but I've taken interviews and gone, nah, we're not. We're, I'm not going to run that. It is a skill, I guess, you require over time. You know, it's like boiling water in a kettle. You know, you get used to warming your guests up a little bit. And then they start to actually give uh, like good stories. There's that, and then there's also um, they're just young. A lot of them are really young, you know. They just they're, they're and different personalities. Like some of them, they just want to play. And like I, uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, in order to get my interviews, I have to be quite pushy. So sometimes I'll end up put, just getting these, you know, kids, and I call them kids, but like you know, early twenties or whatever, and like we'll sit down. And it's like they are a little inexperienced with it. Being interviewed is really hard, you know. You, have to be, you kind of have to be in the right mood. You kind of have to. Your brain has to be firing in that way. And also, sometimes you have to be the right kind of personality type. And uh, some people are just brilliant, brilliant at it, and others, uh, it's tougher, you know. Um, and it's kind of like why I will jump on podcasts. Uh, one of the reasons I will jump on podcasts uh, with people like you is to get the get a little bit more of that experience of not being the guy who has to lead the conversation you know yeah and seeing what it's like on the other side 
it is it is different i do think naturally having a camera on you you instantly become vulnerable every action every thing you react to it's caught on camera and as you said you know you've got people watching on youtube they're gonna comment they're gonna analyze they're gonna judge yeah it's true well but so what i do with the players actually nowadays you know you're right it, it, it has to your point about you know getting better as you go along one of the things that i like to tell them is look it's being recorded it's not live so if you fuck up or if i fuck up i can edit it out and i will i'm not i'm not a gotcha guy you know i'm not like oh shit i got him to say this uh let me let me just run with that you know i'm more along the lines of uh you know, very wary, especially if somebody says something contentious, I'll often ask them afterwards, are you sure you want me to keep that in? Uh, when Bonchan went off on Capcom, I said to him, are you sure, are you sure about this? And he just looked at me and went, yeah, absolutely. Because he was, at the time, this is why I love Bonchan, right? At the time, at the time, he knew that potentially there would be consequences for him as a sponsored player to speak out against Capcom. And do it in a and do it in a way that really got noticed. Yes. Um, but he doesn't regret it. You know, like he'll say nowadays. Like I think nowadays he feels like he, he's done his part, and and there's really no point in him continuing to uh, you know go on any crazy rants or anything like that. Um, but he did something important. I think you know he got. Capcom Japan's attention and they they didn't like it they did not like it at all and uh, and that you know that's not good news for a pro player when there are invitationals going on and stuff like that you know um, but he felt like at the time it was important to stand up and say the things that he said you know um, and the, the rest of I've heard other players other players have come up to me and said we loved that interview. He spoke. He spoke for us, kind of thing. Um, so it is great when stuff like that happens. But uh, yeah, in order to keep people at ease, I tend to tell them it's just recorded. Don't worry. If you mess up, you can re-record it. If you want to edit something, if you want me to edit something out, I can. Um, you know, my goal is not to uncover some bizarre thing about somebody you know yes uh or some, or some bizarre drama my goal has always been to help players in the fgc be understood better as human beings and um and uh so highlight them and uh but also you know more selfishly i want to know how to get better you know and when i say selfishly i mean for everybody watching like we want to know, like, how much work do you really put in, you know? Yeah. Uh, when I interviewed Fenrich, he said he does eight to nine, eight to nine hours every single day of combo practice uh, for Dragon Ball. That's insane. Right? That was our reaction too. Um, eight to nine hours a day of combo practice. Dragon Ball is a game where, you know, there are you know, I'm simplifying it and I don't, and I'm not a high level player, but there's the neutral and getting that first hit. And then there's converting the hit right into as much damage as you possibly can. 
and those combos they call them routes you know or routes in america i guess mm. uh those com combos or routes and you know which include resets and assists and you know whatever um that those are the things which you practice right and for some players like let's say sonic fox or maybe super noon right these guys are actually pretty good at that stuff like they can they can they can watch things and they can sort of almost do them in real time um but other players like the kill sage who is like sonic fox's best friend right um is the opposite like the kill sage and Fen fenrich who happens to be a blaze blue god these guys are working eight to nine hours a day doing combo practice you know the end result is the same right like the, the end result is fenrich ends up third at evo you know which is extraordinary um you know sonic wins evo you know like but they're just so different you know their approaches it's it's phenomenal and that is what i always wanted to understand was i wanted to understand these people who are so good and are so much better than me and i wanted to know how hard do you work and you know it, the funny thing is the answer is it really varies <laughs> and it's it's you know and they all have their strengths and weaknesses and work on completely different things um and you know that in a way that shouldn't be i guess that shouldn't be surprising but but some of it does surprise me i think sonic fox is somebody who surprises me because i just think wow you know like how does he looks at the game so differently you know picks up games so quickly um but fenrich that doesn't surprise me you know it does it surprises me how much work he does because i don't know if i could work that hard without getting bored i actually said in the interview that sounds really boring um you know but he loves it he loves doing the, lots of different types of combos and mastering them and all that sort of stuff but that makes sense to me the practice like having to practice eight to hours a day, eight to nine hours a day makes sense to me some of the other guys don't make any sense to me at all but that's kind of why i do the interviews yeah i get you well because of all these interviews and all these players you've met can you give us the name of three players that you consider heroes people that you look up to yeah taquito is number one absolutely um for me anyway personally uh you know, he's just constantly setting a good example for people. He's constantly checking himself. I, I'm pretty sure when he was younger, he was a cocky, cocky little bugger, you know? Yeah. Um, and they all were. Uh, that's sort of how they come in. Uh, you know, you see some of the younger kids now, they're quite cocky. Uh, a lot of people misunderstand some of the younger players. Um, like, um, uh, oh God, my brain's, my brain's broken right now. <laughs> Um, but the the Dominican Republic Republican players, you know, like uh, they they tend to to get a little bit misunderstood um, because they're they're quite cocky. Yeah. Uh, but a lot a lot of that has to do with you know when I've investigated it, a lot of it has to do with like, look, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to be scared of Daigo? Do you want me to be scared of Takedo? Or do you want me to figure out a way of tr mentally tricking myself into believing that? I can beat them because that's the only way I'm going to beat them basically which makes sense so it's like I'm going to be a cocky sod because I'm going to tell myself I can beat Takedo and Takedo is nothing to me because that's the only way I'm going to be able to compete with him I can't walk into the into the ring you know the metaphorical ring uh, or the real ring at CEO um, and 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 believe that he is a god 
you know, that's just not how it's going to work. But yeah, I mean, he, Takedo, you know, be, just because of how much work he puts in, just because of how much research he does, just because of how innovative he is, just because he's not scared to do things uh, that people will laugh at. And then once he kills everybody and is Evo champion, people are copying, you know, uh, whether it be meditation or whatever, you know. Um, so Takedo is one of them for sure. Um, and then it becomes hard. It, it, it's very hard because there's so many, you know, like there's so many heroes in America, whether it be players or commentators, um, you know, leaders within the community. You know, there's so many TOs and, uh, and commentators. It's almost like it's hard to name them all um, yes. without, without uh, leaving somebody out, you know? Um, but you know, people. Everyone knows Takeda is my number one. I think we appreciate uh, um, the hard work, as you said, but it's the grit, you know, that he he really earned his spot. Yeah, and he also made a big transformation in his life. From he was there, there's video footage. It's funny because I feel like half the time I feel like I'm I, I'm the only one who knows this. I know I'm not the only one who knows this. I know there's all these people who grew up in the FGC who know it, um, but there's a lot of people who just don't and. Um, there was a time when Takeda was referred to as Dirty Takeda, right? Yeah. Um, because he basically would play a million different games and he would find, and this is an art form in itself, he would find the cheapest character and the cheapest tactic uh, as or strategy and, and he would just do that. And if you didn't have an answer for it, he'd just kill you. And that was it. And there was no flash or, you know, Kind of like crazy skill or anything like that he just he would just rinse and repeat you know like um he would pick in a lot of the games you know they used to have like they wouldn't get patches and they'd have broken characters and stuff like that so he used to do that and then uh one day uh i guess he got beaten in uh he got definitely got beaten in a first 10 by momochi in topanga um and he also daigo beat i think he was inspired by Daigo. It's in my interview, but basically, those guys had much stronger fundamentals and 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 a sort of outlook and methodology. And you know, they were strong players. And if you had a gimmick, if they, if it went more than like first to two, they would fuck you up. You know, like they yeah, would yeah, they yeah, would yeah, they yeah. they would be like, all right, figured it out figured out what your gimmick is, you're done. And when Takeda realized that, uh, he realized that he might not have a long shelf life in fighting games uh, because he just felt like it was better to be to become that, that you know, a strong, he calls it like a good player, a strong player. Um, so he became more and more fundamentally sound and stronger he took on Akuma and he really innovated with Akuma in Street Fighter 4. And then, I don't know if you remember this, but like in Street Fighter 4, I think it was Ultra, they kind of, they changed a bunch of stuff, right? But one of the things they did was uh, they they changed the way that you got up, right? Sorry, uh, wake up. Oh, yeah, yeah. They gave you wake up options, basically, so that the vortex that Akuma used to have disappeared. So Akuma was all about vortex, right? And that's how Takeda used to play the character. It was all about Vortex, Vortex, Vortex. And then when the Vortex went missing, it was like he just learned 
fundamental with this character that has no health, you know? And but a lot of attacking options, but he he just blew my mind at that point. And um, I think that's when I really started to tune into Takedo. And then when five came out, it was just wild watching him innovate with like Ryu and then and then when Akuma came along like there's no one else who does what he does with Akuma you know no but everyone will say on a, on a tier list they'll say well Akuma's number one right mm. because all tier, I had this conversation with Kami uh, but basically all tier lists these days are based on the players because if the players don't put the work in the character won't be noticed you know yeah um, so it's yeah he, he, he's He's, uh, I love Takedo, he's brilliant. So with Takedo having Akuma as his, I guess, character or avatar, um, are you familiar with the movie Ready Player One? I heard of it, I've not watched it. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, I've been told that I should because apparently it's a lot of it is nostalgia based. Yeah, yeah, a lot of game references. Basically, you put on like a VR headset type thing and you're in a digital world and you are a character or an avatar. So. If there was a real life oasis and you could go into a digital world, what character or avatar would you want to be? Oh blimey! Uh, Obviously, if you're Takedo, you're going to go Akuma. But what would your pick be? Like any video game? Could be any character or avatar. You wouldn't even have to be a person. It could be a bird. Uh, uh, I mean, now I'm just starting to think like a dude. <laughs> so like like any environment where like I'm the king and you know <laughs> I don't know I don't know like I was you know what I always used to like playing was the Witcher Witcher three because he would kind of go around and he'd fight things and then he'd get laid and like on horseback women, yeah on horseback and all the women loved him and, you know he he had like this cool daughter who who was you know really you know did amazing things and. Like, I don't know, I love that game. Like, there, there, there was a element to his lifestyle, you know, which felt kind of cool. Like, you know, being, being a, he, he, he wasn't actually human. I was about to say he's like a man's man, like, but he wasn't actually, I mean, I guess witches aren't actually human, but uh, he, I don't know, he did a lot of cool shit, but I don't know, it's hard. Like, video, like, putting yourself into a video game is very different from, you know, it's interesting because you can also compare it to real life, and you you get because all because there are so many video games out there that are just based on real life. You know, virtual reality is going to be very much based on real life. You know, mm. um, I think I think people are going to want to be in situations where they can sort of live their perfect life. You know, I think there are you know virtual reality is a really interesting one because I don't think we're that far away from situations where people will spend most of their time in the virtual world. Yeah. as opposed to the real world it's going to be like the matrix you know mm. uh, and in that world what what are they going to want like as a man you're probably going to want to uh be important you're probably going to want to be dominant you know uh you're probably going to want to like i said uh, have all the women swooning um you know and so i think it's a like i don't know like I could give you a wacky answer, but I feel like I, I, if, if it would always come back to something very primal, you know? Yeah, yeah. Ultimately. 
but we'd lock uh, you in for Geralt or Geralt, however you say his name. Yeah, like Geralt. I, 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 yeah, Geralt or Geralt. Geralt, I think I call him. Um, I think maybe, maybe like, maybe like him. I think. Okay. Kind of interesting, interesting life, interesting lifestyle. With the horse as well. With the horse and the and all the gambling that he does, you know, he plays that card game. I can't remember. It. Yeah, I love that card game. Um, I just really like that game. So, like, you know, and I think he's a he's a cool character who can you know defend himself and has all these weapons and you know is a leader of men and all that. but he doesn't want to be a leader of men. He just kind of wants to do things on his own. He's a bit of a loner in a way. Um, you know, doesn't particularly. In fact, I don't even think he particularly likes people. <laughs> uh, so yeah, maybe him. Maybe him. Okay. Well, thank you for the. Right, yeah. uh, me? Right, yeah. Oh God. Uh, um, I would probably. I hate to say it, but Lee from Tekken or someone from Dragon Ball Z. Maybe Goku or his father Bardock. Yeah. Goku's interesting. He's uh because he's. Uh, He's, he inspired the generation of kids. Like, I didn't un- really understand how much he inspired people. I've only just recently started getting into anime properly, you know? You know, I've seen all the like classics and stuff, movies and things like that, but I've started to delve a little deeper. And um, when Dragon Ball the game came out, I made a decision. I could either play the game all day or I could watch as much Dragon Ball as I possibly could because I'd never seen it before. And I figured my interviews would be more interesting if I kept abreast of the game and understood it, but also knew the anime. And I, I and I made the right decision, right? Yeah. But it was interesting watching the anime because the anime is, you know, it's all about this idea of never giving up. You know, uh, that failing is okay. That that you that in order to reach achieve something, you have to work for it. You know, and even then, sometimes you won't achieve it you just got to keep your fail and you got to keep trying and that's shown and that's a lot of that is shown in anime right it's like just got to keep working at it got to keep reaching the next power level you know and uh it's amazing how many of my friends who did watch dragon ball actually have a very positive outlook on life and a lot of them attribute it to watching stuff like dragon ball yeah. so it's interesting you say that you would be you'd be Goku because um, a lot of people who haven't seen Dragon Ball would wouldn't understand yeah you know? it's 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 like characters like him and you know like Ryu constantly training and traveling I think it's the message they portray it's you know you can always be a better version of yourself if you just look beyond and prepare and you know never content with where you are at the present moment yeah yeah and always yeah always looking for the next challenge basically like you know that there, there's i think a lot of, oh god i don't want to get too philosophical but <laughs> the, you know, no. I, I, think, I, I think yeah i think the uh you know there's a couple of sayings out there right one of them is that, the, that life is the journey you know it, it's not the destination and i think we're all this shouldn't be new news to anybody but I think we tend to think of things as the destination. Like, when this happens, I'll be happy. When when I reach this level, I'll be happy. I'll be happy. I'll be happy. I'll be happy. But but Ryu and Goku just want to keep going. You know, like they just want to keep going because that's what's enjoy- enjoyable to them. They want 
always want someone to be better than them. So there's, so, you know, they don't want to be, like, they sort of want to be the best, but they sort of don't. You know, they sort of, they, they sort of always want someone to be out there that can challenge them. And that seems to be the ethos, I don't know if ethos is the right word, maybe philosophy behind things like Street Fighter and things like Dragon Ball. And, you know, Sagat's the, I say Sagat, Sagat is the, is the same, you know. Akuma is the same, like these characters are all like, you know, please give me somebody, give me a challenge. I want the, the challenge is the important part, the struggle is the important part, as opposed to being king of the castle, I guess. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks for the, thanks for the info, Born Free. We will come back very shortly, guys. Don't go away. Kia ora. This is Wooly Wolves, and you're listening to the Salt Shaker Podcast. Hello there and welcome back. We have got Born Free with us. So if I may ask you, dude, what do you do as a job? What work have you got lined up? So I so let me talk about let me to tell you the story basically. So I my career was in advertising, right? Um, and they brought me to America and eventually they got me a green card and I was pretty good at what I did. I mean, I, I must have been because I just kept getting promoted, and then I, I was I got to the level of like this this level called group account director. So I was running these big accounts for North America and they were huge brands, everyday brands that you've heard of, big Procter and Gamble brands, um, and yeah, it was it was it was interesting. Like I mean, it was you know for 
someone from the outside looking in, it was interesting, but there was something missing for me, and it was passion. Like, I it just, it was, it just seemed to be missing. And um, bizarrely, whenever I was like hanging out with people, getting drinks or whatever, you know, there's always that dumb thing that you bring up. And I would bring up Street Fighter. <laughs> and I don't know why. I have no idea why. Uh, but I'd be like boring the hell out of these people about Street Fighter who really didn't care. But like, but they did care because I was so passionate about it. And that was the first time I'd heard people really say the word passion in association with things I was talking about. You know, it started to resonate like this word, passion, passion, passion. And I was like, what are you talking about passion? Like, like you know, there's life and you just kind of get on with it and that's what it is. Um, but they kept talking about it and it made me reconsider a few things and I wasn't, I wasn't feeling great. Like I was feeling like, yeah, it, it was a lot of money, I guess, but I wasn't in the right mind, mind frame of mind. Uh, you know, I was pretty depressed. Um, you, I was sort of, I was like the guy at the beginning of Fight Club, if you've ever seen that movie. Oh, um, dude. Really? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you seen the you seen the beginning of the movie, right? Yeah. You know how like how well it they do that, like how well they visualize that sort of horrible kind of like day to day grind. So terrible, man. Yeah, and it's just like it's dark and it's dreary, and it's like he goes home and he gets to the takeout and he watches the TV and he's alone and he does it, but he but you know it's a good job and it's good money, but and. He's kind of doing everything that he thinks he's supposed to do, right? Yeah. And, you know, that was me, in a way. There were things about my job that I enjoyed. Don't get me wrong, it's advertising, it's kind of fun, it's full of interesting people, creative people, um, you know, it, it's very vibrant in that context, but, but it, I was in a bit of a rut. So, anyway, I... You know, to answer your question, I'm not currently, I don't currently have like one career going, you know, I'm just surviving. And the reason I'm doing that is because I just am happier doing that right now. Um, when I was in my career, you know, it was cool. Like you, you got, your, you got your, your own MacBook and you got your own phone and you got all this, you got amazing health insurance and uh, you know, you got paid really well, and you then you would get this great apartment, you know, or whatever, and uh, all that stuff. But none of it really. Ultimately, the work absolutely owned you. You were always behind. You always had a million emails, and your mind was constantly on that, and it wasn't open, and and it certainly didn't for me. Didn't I didn't have a creative outlet, and so one day I just said, "All right, bye." And I just left and um, had some money saved and, you know, I've just been trying to figure stuff out. I've been trying to figure out how to be a happier person. I've been, you know, lots of stuff in trying various things, you know, which you don't, the FGC doesn't necessarily see. Um, and, uh, but one of those things is the FGC and one of those things is creating content. And um, as I've gone along, I've become a little bit more well known and a little bit more successful at it and occasionally I've been given jobs, you know, paid hosting jobs and 
you know, I make a little tiny bit of money from YouTube and I make a little tiny bit of money from Patreon and when I start streaming I'll probably make a little bit of tiny money from that and it's like, because the big question is like, well, can I add all these little things together and sort of, can that be my life, you know? Yes. Because, because I quite like it. I quite enjoy it. I feel real fulfillment in the things that I'm doing in a way that I never did before. And I'm nowhere near as, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, rich, or I have nowhere near as much money as I had back then. But damn, do I feel better <laughs> as a human being. Yeah, um, screw the money, more for the happiness, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's definitely a point where, yeah, they scientifically, I think they've shown that they, they, there's a certain amount of money that you need. Like, you need to be able to keep the bill collectors at bay. You know, when they say, like, you know, happiness can't buy you, or money can't buy you happiness, right? It can buy you options, but certainly they say that once the bill collectors are kept at bay, you have enough money to keep them away, then a lot a lot of that stress goes away. And then, then you know, your happiness is sort of, or your fulfillment is sort of within your own control in many ways. Um, that's sort of like how I like to think about it. Uh, so I don't know, we'll see in the future. Like I'm just gonna keep living day by day at the moment until it gets to a point where I'm like, either, oh, hey, you know, things are sort of happening and I can continue to be a content creator and that can be my thing. Um, or uh, I go, well, that didn't work, um, but I learned a lot about what keeps me fulfilled. So let me go off and get X job, but let's make sure that I have, you know, these things, these certain things still in my life, like creative outlet or, you know, some contribution to the FGC, no matter how small it was, whatever. Um, so it's more of a transitionary period, to be honest, than, so I could never say like, this is my job. Like, um, I'd love to be able to say YouTube is my job, but it definitely is. I definitely don't make enough money to be able to say that yet. <laughs> is work what brought you to America? Because you're originally from the UK. Yeah, well, uh, so, I was working in England, they fired a creative director, it kind of messed up the structure of everything. And the work had to go through the American creative department and uh, they needed like a sort of a liaison, like somebody who would work, I guess, in America for the UK agency. And they, it was one of the few times in life where something kind of happened to me as opposed to I made it happen, you know? Like, I'm not one of those people who things happen to. Right, it just, I'm just not. Yeah. I know a bunch of people who are like that, um, but things don't happen to me. I don't, I don't really trust in the universe that everything's going to be okay. Like, because I've always had to go out and get it myself. Tell us. But, yep. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, you go, man. I was going to say that was the one time something happened and they went, "We want you to go," and my head was spinning because I was like, "You want me to go live in New York?" Like it just because I thought I was just going to stay in London forever, you know. Um, I hadn't really considered it, and then it happened, and it was cool. Uh, and then when I got here, the temporary job turned into a permanent one because they, they liked me here, and um, so that's what happened. I stayed. 
Whereabouts from London are you from? Uh, I'm not from London. I'm from a, from the south coast, from a little town called Worthing, uh, which is near a bigger town called Brighton. Uh, who now their football, the Brighton football, you know, Brighton football team is now back in the Premier League, which is you know taken my whole life for them to get back there. Uh, but that's another story. Um, but I grew up there till I was like 18, and then I went to university in London. I studied geology of all things, um, and then I decided to get into advertising, uh, and just stayed in London. And I lived in a lot of different places in London. So I lived in North London. I lived in South London. I towards the end I was in East London. Might not have lived in West London. I can't remember. It was it was a good 12 years of moving around and renting various apartments. When you were going to move to America. Um... Within the two weeks of you going, were you feeling a bit nervous or apprehensive? Yeah, scared to death. Uh, so, you know, it was one of those moments where, you know, sometimes you, I think this is you know, sort of common knowledge, but, but you know, people don't always act on it, but sometimes you, you got to do things, you do have to do things that scare you, right? To grow and to enjoy life. You have to be challenged, and a lot of the times we don't, you know, because it's just easier not to, and it sucks, and anxiety sucks, and all that stuff, right? Mm. But this thing popped up, and I, I'm actually not very spontaneous. I may have become more spontaneous, I don't know, but I don't think of myself as a very spontaneous person. So if somebody says, we need you to go to New York, and you're going next week, I need a moment. So I remember saying to them, that sounds cool. Um, can I give you an answer tomorrow? And they were like, yeah, sure. And I went for a walk. Like, I, li I left the building. You know, whenever I was stressed at, at, at work, you know, a big advertising agency, whenever I was stressed, I used to leave the building and just go for a walk. And um, so I went for a walk. And my head was spinning. Spinning. Because, I, you know, I hadn't considered it. Like I just like grew up in England, I lived in London. I never I didn't grow up in the type of family where uh, you know, I ever really thought about the idea of travelling or, or living somewhere else. It just didn't occur to me. Like for you it was and just the UK. You never thought you'd go to America. No. I mean I get you're not like you guys, like New Zealanders and Australians I think it's sort of a rock, almost a rite of passage where you sort of go off and travel travel to Europe or whatever, right? Because mm. um, uh, we, I mean, we have Australia. I used to remember in England we'd have Australians coming through all the time. Um, but no, I just used to think, you know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And, I, and it wasn't until they sent me to America where I, when things just, my life felt different. You know, like I, I realized I was in a bit of a rut. And sometimes you don't recognize when you're in a rut and years can go by and you're just like, oh, oh, oh what, 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 what just happened? Um, and I, I've, it's funny because I've been recognizing recently that, wow, I've been in New York for 12 years. Maybe I, you know, with a green card, I can go anywhere in America. Maybe I should think about moving. And so that, that's the thing for me. That's sort of like one of my next things is like, well, why don't I just go to the West Coast, you know? And there, there's so many cool things on the West Coast. Like there's so, there's, there's, that's where all like the video game culture is, you know? That's where, uh, 
the anime, where anime is, where Japanese culture is, where there's just a lot of cool things out there. And um, I think about that a lot. I, I recently I've been thinking about like maybe I maybe I need to maybe I need to shift and and move somewhere else because you know with what I'm doing currently I I don't have to be in New York. Uh, in fact, it's kind of expensive being in New York. Mm. Uh, unless you're like working in the city, which I'm not. So, yeah. so how did your uh, family, you know, the Born Free Ginger Clan, how how have they how have they been throughout this whole uh, ordeal with you and the FGC? Uh, they're fine. I mean, my my dad has always been incredibly supportive. He he always. My parents split up when I was like six years old. So he he was. I would see him like once a month or whatever. But, and he's super smart, like that side of the family is super, super, you know, all engineers and scientists and stuff, right? And um, my mum's side of the family is more blue collar, so I was somewhere in between, right? That's kind of, I guess, why I kind of ended up in marketing or advertising, because uh, you've got a little, little bit of that street smarts going on, as well as general logic and understanding and all that sort of stuff. But uh, that, my father, who, like I, I think I said earlier, is actually in New York at the moment, which is wild, because he hasn't, as far as I know, he's never visited, although he claims he has, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, he's always been supportive, very supportive. Um, I think he, you know, he, I love talking to him about things. He has, a, he, he's a real thinker and, uh, and nothing offends him. He just, he just, you know, he he doesn't believe that that there is a, you know, just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean that it's right. Like he'll question everything, you know. Yeah. I, I think we need more people like that. There's a lot of thought leaders now out in the world who are starting to get recognition for questioning things, you know. Yeah. Because we tend to just go along with everything. We go, oh, this has been happening for years. So it must be right. But that's not true, you know. Um, you know, in the fifties, they they used to tell you that smoking was good for you. You know, they'd have adverts of doctors telling you that smoking was good for you. So if you grew up in the fifties, that's what you believe. You know, yeah. Um, it, just because something is normal doesn't mean that it's right, basically. So, so my dad, in that context, is like, just do what you want to do. <laughs> No, I don't know, he's just, he's hard to explain, but he's basically like, he's a very successful, he has been, a, was a successful person, um, and changed careers like three times, you know? Mm. And I think he understands this idea of not always knowing necessarily the answer, but he respects looking for it. Yeah, yeah, you know? not knowing isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, I mean, you can often know what makes you unhappy. And, and you can walk away from it, right? So that I think is a positive step. But a lot of people, you know, it's drummed into them. Well, you know, you got to have a plan. You got to know what you're doing, and this and that and the other. You know, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just got to get out of something before you can think differently, or before you can think straight, or before you can discover new things. And uh, so he's been very supportive. Uh, my my mother worries, you know. She's that's what she does. As all she's mums do. Done. Yeah, so 
I can't have great conversations with her with this stuff. You know, one, she doesn't care. She's not interested. To her, it's all very boring. Um, you know, like on a technical level, she just really doesn't care about video games or any or whatever I'm doing. Um, but on another level, you know, she's a little bit more like traditional. She's a bit more like she would be her personally. She would not feel as anxious if I was, you know, in a traditional career, basically. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of two opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, but I, I nowadays I, I try to spend less time thinking about what they want and more about what I want because you know you're only on the planet for so long and you, and you can only spend so long like uh, impressing your parents. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've been there and I've done that and it didn't it, I didn't end up in a happy place like I, I got there and I was like oh look at me I'm making more money than anybody um, and I'm sure my parents are really proud of me and they were and then I was like oh you know I sort of reached that destination <laughs> and I was like oh okay well I've done that uh, what's you know, next what's it what's been the most difficult thing? going from the UK to the US, has it been the views on football? Has it been, I don't know, too many shops with buffalo wings, selling buffalo wings? What's it? What's been a tough stint with the transition? Oh, loads of, yeah, loads of little, it's, it's always like, you kind of uh, hit the nail on the head a lot, because it's a lot of small things, which sometimes end up being big things, but, you know, like, ah, oh, I really missed the chocolate, you know? Because like chocolate here is garbage. It's really bad. Like Hershey's is just absolutely appalling. Oh. I have no idea. No. So Hershey's no no go in America. I mean, I think it's disgusting. But like, I, I've since been told like chocolate is this thing. Like the, the like chocolate. You, apparently, you love the chocolate you grow up with. But here's the deal: Americans aren't really into chocolate. Like confectionery isn't really a big deal. I mean, they have it, but like, not like it is in England. I have no idea what it's like in New Zealand because I've never been. But like in the UK, chocolate is a big deal. Cadbury is a big deal. Uh, Cadbury dairy milk chocolate is a big deal. You know, it's huge. Um, And when I go home, I I eat as much as I possibly can because I'm a sugar addict, right? But uh, here, the chocolate is bad. And I, I often, I often look at it and I just think, Christ, there's a gap in the market here. Like, <laughs> you know, this is supposed to be a capitalist country, and yet, like, confectionery is not doing well. Like, because the stuff that does well here is, and they do it well, by the way. You know, it's like donuts, right? So, like, oh, donuts, cakes, and cheesecake, and and then it's like uh, ice cream. Ice cream is, you know, like when you think of sweet things. In America, you think of those things, you know? Mm. Um, but you don't really think of chocolate bars. No one goes, oh, let me go and get a chocolate bar. You know, like, they, they don't. They go, let me go and get a tub of uh, Ben & Jerry's. Because they do that well. But they definitely don't do chocolate bars. So, but yeah, it's things like food. Like, even though everybody jokes about how English food is bad and rubbish and whatever, but, you know, I, I actually really do miss English food. Like, English breakfast. Although you can sort of get those in New York, they're called full Irish breakfast. Um, 
but they're not quite the same, you know. Uh, the Chinese, you know, even like uh, takeout is, you know, he, he, you know, Chinese food doesn't taste Western, like Chinese food. No, because you because so the you know like real Chinese food in China is very different to takeout Chinese food in America, right? And it's very different, and that is also very different from takeout Chinese food in the UK, and it's probably very different from takeout Chinese food in New Zealand, because what happens is they just, you know, they just, uh, they, I guess they westernize it. I don't know what the term would be for New Zealand, but like they westernize it, right? Um, so, so they add sugar or do whatever they need to do in order to make each of these meals appetizing and in America they have something called general general sow chicken or something uh, and you know uh, in the UK like you know we do duck and pancakes and it's gorgeous and it's one of my favorite meals but it's different in the US and so like Chinese is I, I don't even like Chinese here and I love it in England um, so there's various you know different types of food the confectionery and of course my friends who I grew up with who you have a special bond with and understanding I miss them of course I miss them um, you know football absolutely you have, it's in your blood mate you have to miss them yeah I mean you just miss the coverage you know and it sucks because a lot of the time you're kind of like not on the same wavelength as like your friends from the UK who are getting all the information all the time pundits and whatever and you know their friends and whatever and you're out here on your own watching it and then you might get like some American pundit who doesn't quite read a situation right and you don't quite understand what happened and what's going on and all that sort of stuff and and yeah it's 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 weird and I, I'm not a huge fan of American sports other than like NFL uh, and I'm not even a huge fan of NFL but a lot of their sports out here are uh, Whew, uh, they play a lot of games. So and uh, and uh, and but let's say basketball, for instance. That's actually the extreme. You know, it's kind of cool. It's kind of fun. When I was a kid, I was kind of into it. I like Jordan and whatever. But like when you look at it, it's actually like a lot of games, right? And so like they'll do, you know, best of seven or whatever between each team. And it, you have it makes you wonder, like what's important you know you'll be at a game and you'll wonder is this game important because it's best out of seven uh you know is this was that was that basket important because there, there's you know it's they're playing to a hundred or whatever you know like not literally to a hundred but like that's how many points they can score in a game you know whereas football it's like or nfl they only play a very limited amount of games and each game is really important you know and each goal is really important, or each touchdown is really important. And so that's why I gravitate more towards NFL, because like, they only play like 16 games or 20 games if they win, if they win the whole thing. Um, but yeah, sport, fishing I miss. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things I miss, but unfortunately, there's a few things that, you know, that I don't miss. And there's also some things here that I prefer. So it's, you know, when you move countries, it's sort of, you don't really dwell too much on what you miss. You you sort of just have to figure out for yourself if the move was right for you. 
and you know if the benefits outweigh the things that maybe you've lost um, and you know other things yeah you know, like the the weather affects me a lot like my mood you know yeah yeah and yeah. Um, and so there's not a lot of uh, in the winter time there's not a lot of sunshine in the UK and I'm literally talking about sunshine I'm not talking about how cold it is I'm talking about sunshine so it, it tends to go like dark for like six months of the year you know I'm exaggerating it a little bit but I'm sort of sometimes that does happen I'm sort of not exaggerating um, I remember going back there after a few years in America in the winter and being there and not and looking out the window and it being like so dark in the middle of the day because it was overcast and it was rainy or whatever and I remember I just thought I, I don't remember it this way but wow um, but being in New York it would it will be super cold right and it will snow but there'll be this bright sunshine in the sky and uh, you know that has an effect on my mood basically and as I've gotten older it's it's just gotten worse so like the more it's like dark and overcast the more I just want to curl up in a ball and just lay in bed and hibernate yeah you know um, I really I think they call it a seasonal affective disorder right so that's the technical term for it but it, it's I definitely need the sun um, so like if you're gonna talk about like what I miss and not you specifically I'm just talking the grand scheme of things if you you're going to weigh up like, oh, here's what I miss and here's what I like and that sort of stuff. You also have to take into consideration, oh shit, this six months of the year turns me into like this guy who doesn't want to socialize, who just wants to be at home, who feels unhappy. And if, if the weather is affecting my mood, then I'd rather be in a place where the weather is actually going to help me as a human, you know, be happier and more fulfilled as a person basically yeah because there's nothing more, there's nothing more important right no that's true um, than that so so i do miss a lot of things and uh, uh but i i get to experience them when i visit which is great i even went fishing last year which was fantastic caught a lot of fish it was fantastic um but uh but at the same time i'm very lucky you know I'm very lucky that i was able to come to the states and very lucky that i have a green card i'm very lucky that if I want, I can move out to somewhere hotter and sunnier. Um, so, yeah, I, I always think of myself as lucky. And I know a lot of people who really want to move to America, but don't know how to make it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just think of myself as lucky. But God damn, I wish there was some cabri here. <laughs> maybe one of your fans can send you some. Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe. Or maybe another sponsorship project. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, it's interesting because I'm going to bore you a little bit here, but um, oh, that's okay. Cadbury, I'm kind of obsessed with it. But Cadbury, there is Cadbury here, the name and the look and the tone and the style, uh, but it's owned by Hershey's. So at oh, some point, something, somewhere, yeah, somewhere there's been a bit of cross-contamination, you think? Well, they bought the rights to the name and they sell these Cadbury chocolate bars and I'm just you know I'm personally hurt by it like I'm horrified because they taste fucking disgusting 
And what what's sad is uh, all of the American people that I know think that uh, that's what Cadbury tastes like. And you're, and, like, uh, you're like, no, I know the true taste. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's true of, like, I mean, you just, the best way to put it is to, find, to think of something from New Zealand, you know, that, 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 that tastes right in New Zealand, but, you know, they try to replicate it somewhere else. And Actually, they didn't even try to replicate it, they just call it something. Mm. And then everybody thinks it's disgusting, right? When actually they haven't tasted the real Cadbury sometimes. It's funny, it, get, it actually gets me really mad. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I can tell. I'm surprised that you even swore. <laughs> oh, really? No, I swear all the time. Nah, uh, no so, what, tell us about a hidden talent of yours. Do you know how to play the saxophone? Uh, no, I wish I did, because there's a connection between uh, musicians and good fighting game players. Because uh, I've, I, I can't remember who brought this up. I think it was James Chen a long time ago. But um, I often ask people if they play musical instruments when I'm interviewing them because the practice is the same uh, for comp you know doing combos. Uh, so you know repetition, timing, um, and all that stuff is is very similar. So and a lot of great combo people who do combos, uh, Desk for instance, right uh, from the UK or. Uh, or Sonic Fox, right? These people are actually accomplished musicians. I mean, I don't know that much about Desk because he, like, I don't know who, I'm, I'm not really sure who knows that much about Desk, but I, I think he actually plays the guitar as well. Um, and Sonic Fox plays like the freaking violin and, and the piano. And there's a whole bunch of people who who play instruments uh, who who are amazing at fighting games. Um, but secret talents, secret talents. See, I think I'm good at fishing. <laughs> I actually think I'm good at fishing because, and I, because when we went back to England, I caught a bunch of fish, and my, my, he'll never hear this, uh, he'll get angry, but my best, one of my best mates, basically, uh, we went fishing together, and, and he didn't catch any, I think he caught one fish, and he blamed it on the, on like, where we positioned, where we, where we were positioned on the lake, like, uh, kind of reminds me of fighting games, really, like, like if you, like you didn't pick a top tier position, yeah, um, yeah, he was he he's just angry uh, because uh, because he wants there's a part of him I think that because we haven't fished together for years I think there's a part of him that wants to show me how good he is at fishing right I don't don't doubt that for a second but but I tend to think of myself as a good fisherman and what it comes down to because a lot of people think of fishing as luck right but you can increase there is luck in fishing but you can in, you there's a lot of observation. Right? There's a lot of thinking ahead, there's a lot of planning, there's a lot that goes into it and and also there's like, what I pride myself on with fishing is making sure that every detail is as good as it can be. So that when that opportunity comes, that fish is going to get hooked, right? And the line is not going to break and it's going to be played, you know, I'm going to, they call it playing, I don't know if you fish or not, but they call it playing the fish, right? which is the fight between you and the fish. Um, and in the UK, it's catch and release, actually. Catch it's all release. pretty humane. It's, it's fairly humane, apart from the, you know, drag, you know, dragging this fish in by its mouth. Uh, we use barbless hooks and we put them on these soft mats and uh, when we're unhooking them, we take a quick photo and we put them back in the water and off they go. Um, 
but you know they're big old fish that they you know they grow to a good size you know and I caught some 20 pound plus fish 25 pound fish or something um, and yeah I, I pride myself I've always prided myself in being good at fishing that that I think that's my secret one of my secret talents and then I guess my other secret talent which is not so secret is must have something to do with interviewing I'm not sure what it is it's either empathy or making people feel at ease or something I'm not quite sure what it is and I, I don't think about it too much but every now and then I go well why isn't everyone just doing what I'm doing you know like maybe because there's no money in it and I'm an idiot no, but um, no, there's a growth though like not only is the FGC growing player wise but a lot of people that are creating the content you know as you said there's Ernesto Lopez, there's yourself. I think there's an Australian good called Zareen that does a few interviews as well. Um, maybe it's the fact that you've got some English blood in you as well. Like you seem more, um, I don't know, more maybe not more compassionate, but you're just easier to to talk, easier to commune with. Maybe. Uh, I mean, I used to listen to people a lot when I was. Uh... When I worked in advertising, like I used to joke that my job was like therapy because I was like the guy, I was the boss sort of, and everybody would come to me with their problems, you know, run bitch and moan and all that sort of stuff. And eventually I'd just list, I would, my style wasn't one of like, you know, suck, I wasn't one of these people who was just like, I don't care, get on with it, do it. I was one of these people who was like, all right, yeah. I get it and you know I'd listen to people and be uh, you know feel empathy for them but ultimately still I would be like and now we need to go get this work done <laughs> you know um, but I did a lot I did a lot of that a lot of listening a lot of empathy a lot of trying to understand and um, maybe that helps a little bit I don't know there's something there is definitely something uh, that might be there might be a special skill which helps me create the content that I do and has helped me be reasonably successful with the, with the interviews. But I don't know what it is. <laughs> I can't do I, I can't do I guess I, I guess in a in a way I guess maybe people are interested because they don't know like they like your interviews but they like yourself they're not too sure what makes you because they know you're different from other people but it's not really pointing what it is like there's that constant yeah. interest maybe maybe there's some mystery to me uh, perhaps it's because I don't understand myself <laughs> so everybody else is like what the fuck <laughs> uh, it, I, I don't know uh, I have no idea but definitely the interviews have have done well mm. and people have enjoyed them yeah, so very well there's something there's something there I don't know if it's a, a secret talent or, or whatever but uh, but yeah there's that and, and I think you know I don't know. I think uh, I think fishing is. <laughs> I love fishing. You know how to reel them in. Yeah, uh, it's more like I know how to plan to catch them. Like the specific type of fishing I did in the UK was called carp fishing, and it requires a lot of planning. It's more like laying a trap, you know. Mm. Um, and so it's a lot of thinking forwards about what bait am I going to use? What they call it the rig? Like what's on the end of the line? Rig am I going to use? How am I going to set it up? Where am I going to cast it to? You know what? It's it's a it's a lot of thought and um, and and then like I said, just making sure every detail is correct. There's so many small details like 
quite often people fish with blunt hooks, like that. Like the hook has to be uh, of a certain sharpness, and hooks can be blunted ever so slightly very easily, and people don't realise that makes the difference. It's the difference between what normally happens is the the fish will take the bait and the hook will pierce their mouth, right? Mm. And if it's blunt, it will might scrape along the mouth and they'll just drop the bait. And you know, it's it's a tiny, tiny. It seems like a tiny detail. Most people can't be bothered to check their check their hooks every time they they reel it in. And I know this is super detailed, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, the bigger learning is is the you know if if you're keeping an eye on every single detail. Um, it's sort of like all the small things that add up to something big, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah. If you get all the small things right, then then the big things will just will be fine, you know? And I think that's true of a lot of, a lot of endeavors, as it were. Yeah. I know that we've gone on a lot about you and your personal life, which is great. I will just bring it back a little bit to the game, uh, or games, Street Fighter V, Dragon Ball Z, I'd like to know what your opinions are. Uh, in what respects? Like in, in terms of quality, in terms of like what I enjoy. In, in yeah, just in terms of if you enjoy it, if you have any problems or issues with it. No. Uh, so my thing is, I would love to find more time to play uh, because I think I spend a lot of time thinking about games and thinking about players and then I spent a lot of time editing and um, you know uh, that's why when I was at EVO I was like you know I need to step back a bit because I'm starting to lose my connection I'm not playing the game so I put out a video actually fairly recently and really touched Street Fighter for about six months um, but the truth is I hadn't really touched any fighting game for about six months you know mm. um, and I really enjoy fighting games, and I really need the competition in my life because that, that I think everyone, well, can't speak for everyone, but I think it's sort of a bit of how we tick, like we sort of need a bit of some competition in our life, somehow, to keep us motivated. Sometimes we need things to overcome, obstacles or what have you, and Street Fighter is a very simple sort of version of that, you know, like playing on ranked, you know, or something, or, or a fighting game playing on ranked is a version of that, you know. I want to rank up, that's going to be my goal, my challenge, um, and let me figure out how I'm going to do that. But uh, certainly I'm going to start getting back into the games, but what's been interesting about so Street Fighter V having its problems it, um, is that it's opened my eyes to you know what else is going on, and then Arxis came along and said, alright, well, Capcom, if you're going to rest on your laurels, we're, we're going to we're going to kick some ass, basically. Um, and I think that's great. I want to see competition. You know, I want to see Capcom have competition. Yeah. So, um, I want to see... I thought their latest date on Street Fighter was actually very strong. Uh, there are a couple of reasons for that. One is I felt the characters have great animations. Um, I think they have great graphics. I think they have some great detail. Uh, you know, I haven't even tried G yet, but apparently he has all stuff, you know, that people love, they really love that character. Yeah. 
Um, then of course there's Lawwise, like his connection to Q. Um, and then what blew me away, and this was really a big deal for me, and I'll, I'm going to do a video on it at some point, but this was a huge deal. Um, my big problem with Street Fighter Five has been like the overall product, the attention to detail, and particularly the user experience has been really, really lacking. Um, you know, when it first came out, it was a bare bones esports platform. Basically, it was like it was as this is gonna yeah, it was as bare as any fighting game that that we'd ever seen before, eh? Like so minimal. Right. It was it was it was like this is what we can do. This is as much as we can do for esports, basically. Uh, I mean, this is the least we can do. But I'm being literal. Like this is the least we can do. Um, so you know, they even apologised about that, right? Um, and it blew my mind that so much of the user experience was all over the place, like kind of went backwards, the user interface as well, you know, it's not, you get into Street Fighter and it's a bit weird, like going into battle settings, like it's just unintuitive, you know, um, the loading screens are really long, the lag, the netcode, um, there's so much about it that's backwards and went backwards from Street Fighter 4 actually. Um, and this is even before you get onto gameplay. And it just makes you feel, you know, because user experience is all about how is this thing going to make me feel? And it just makes you feel like, uh, you know, you've already made a bad purchase. It's like when you put it in for the first time and you're sitting there with the loading screen, it, I mean, it doesn't take you long to figure out as a Street Fighter player that when you turn a Street Fighter on, you need to go and use that time to go do something else until it's loaded up, yeah. right? Yeah, man. Like on the PS4, you turn your PlayStation on, press a few buttons, and you're like, all right, now let me go and make breakfast. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, let me go and do these things. I mean, Sarko, there's footage of Sarko, because, you know, he's a family man, and he just won chance to Sarko winning Taiwan without losing a game. Yeah, um, Extraordinary. Uh, but you know, busy guy because he has a family and a daughter and all that sort of stuff. So this footage of him uh, at home, and he has two setups which he uses because everything takes too long to load. So he switches between the two setups, right? And if that's not a sign of bad, of, of a extremely bad user experience, I don't know what is, right? Um, so you know, I've talked about this a lot, and. Uh, I think that that's what bothers me about Street Fighter. Uh, to play, I, I quite enjoy playing as a Kuma. Um, for me, he has, he's not terribly rinse and repeat like some of the other characters. Some of the characters are really dry. He's, he's, he's got more options and there's so much for me personally to learn because, you know, I'm not a pro player or anything like that. So, so it's all good and I do enjoy getting beat people when when the netcode is good that, that's nice um, but I've been looking at other games you know like uh, Unist is a game which I think is kind of cool um, I've been messing around with that it's got a good training mode um, and Dragon Ball is just you know real feel good game you know it's just like whoa the world of Dragon Ball isn't this cool 
and it's you know so much love and attention has been poured into that game. Uh, but I do struggle with Dragon Ball because it's a team-based game, and you need to you need to understand how assists work and that sort of stuff. So um, it requires a lot more practice, and especially since there are set plays and that. Um, so you know, uh, I think one of the games that I want to invest more time in. There's a couple of games that I want to invest more time. In. One of them is Tekken, and one of them is Blaze Blue Tech. Yes, yeah. Um, because that looks pretty wild. And a lot of people who play those tag games have been comparing it to, I guess, Marvel 2. Um, you know, without the well-known without the uh, well-known Marvel characters. But they've been a lot of people have been describing that game as 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 a lot of fun. And now they have a tour and all that stuff. So, you know, <coughs> it often makes sense for the games that I'm interested in. You know, to obviously correspond with people that I'm interviewing, you know? Yeah. Um, and if there's a tour, then, you know, there's a more opportunity for me to find people to interview, uh, and talk about the game. So, yeah, I, I, as far as games go, I'm sort of, I kind of want to just play them all, but, but I'm not going to be great at any of them, uh, because I'm playing them all, and partly because. You know, I'm just that's it's not what I'm aiming for. You know, I'm not aiming to go off and win Evo or whatever. Um, but uh, I, but I love, you know, I love that competition. I love, I do love fighting games. Um, but I, I, I just wish and hope that Capcom bounces back with and delivers a, a, a game to us. And I don't know what it would be, whether it's 356 or whether it's CVS 3. Or something like that, where they deliver it to us, and it's delivered, and it's it it, it is be- of beautiful quality. It's it's filled with love and passion, and all that sort of stuff, and the user experience is good. Um, that's what I want to see happen, you know. Um, and that that latest update, one of the things which blew my mind was that they. When you finish a ranked match or a casual match or whatever, there's an option now which allows you to go straight into the training room with the two characters that were just in the match, right? Now, that sounds like a small thing, um, but there's a couple of things which interest me about it. Uh, one of them is that nobody asks for it, right? And it's, it's very unusual, or has been very unusual for Capcom to give us anything of any use, uh, full stop, to be honest, uh, but, but you know, particularly things that people asked for, right? I mean, they gave us the run back button, I think, and they also gave us the, eventually you didn't have to put your thumbs up during tournament to let the other player know that you were ready. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they added this button, right? So after the match, that I've just played, I can go straight into the training room and I can fix or deal or find a way of dealing with something that was giving me a problem during that match. And I think that's brilliant. I think it's really, really good uh, design, you know, user experience design. That's what user experience is. It's like, it's intuitive and it's helpful. And not only that, 
it makes you a better player, right? Yeah. So I'm fighting you, you're sagging, you're giving me problems, you're doing something which I don't, un- I don't understand how to combat it. We finish our match. And still on work, yeah. Yeah, go straight into the training room and I, and I work on that thing, right? And then I go, all right, got it. And then I go back into, you know, a match, right? And that to me says, signals that something has happened at Capcom, which has meant that somebody somewhere gives a shit. You know, like somebody made that happen. And so I don't know what happened. I know that after Marvel failed, that was a big deal. I know that uh, Dragon Ball Fighters having more entrance at Evo, selling a bazillion more copies than Street Fighter. I know the failure of Arcade Edition. All of these things add up, right? And at some point, I think Capcom may have woken up. I, there, there was definitely, they said something at a quarterly, you know, during a quarterly report along the lines of, uh, of we need to, you know, make sure quality control, um, it, you know, is a priority in our fighting game. So with that last release, that last, sorry, update, I feel like not only did they do a good job in terms of quality control with Sagat and Sagat Sagat and, uh, and G, they added something of value. And that to me blew my mind. And it seems like such a small thing and no one talks about it, but that blew my mind as somebody who is focused in on, you know, what the hell is going on at Capcom and what are they doing and do they care? And, and, and I think the answer is yeah, they, they actually, they're still in the game, they do care, and whatever gave them the kick up the ass, might have been Marvel's failure, might have been Arxis, uh, don't know, but it's a good sign. It's a good sign for the future, and hopefully, my hope is that they're designing a, you know, whatever fighting game they're working on at the moment, is is glorious. Yeah. That's sweet, dude. Well, we'll just have another break now, so those listening, stay tuned. We are not going anywhere. We will be back in a jiffy. Hey, everyone. This is Justin Wong, and you're watching the Salt Shaker Podcast.
Well guys, this is it, the final part, so I'll finish it up with my man Born Free. So dude, um, can you tell us, who would you choose as your starter Pokemon? This is a random question. Bulbasaur, Charmander, or Squirtle? Uh, probably... I guess Charmander. Everyone chooses Charmander, man. Yeah, because... He grows into that fucking amazing creature. Charizard. Um, yeah, the Charizard. I forgot the name. But the when I was playing Pokemon Go, because I never, I never played Pokemon grew up. But I played Pokemon Go and kind of got into it like crazy, crazy. I, I get a bit obsessive about things, so I got wildly into it um, because it's in Central Park in New York. They had. Uh, uh, this area where there was like I don't know 20 of those pit stops or whatever the hell they're called I forgot what they're called Pokestops they're, 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 yep yeah Pokestops but they were always they were always on like they were like so there was like you could sit there and I would do like 36 hour session it was insane um but I would do, we'd do a lot of running around we had like the radars and I, have, I still have 30 plus Snorlaxes on my phone um <laughs> It's kind of dumb, but I do remember like the start when you started. If you kept walking away from those three starters, you I think you found Pikachu. If I remember rightly, yeah. I didn't actually I didn't actually know at the time, but like if you if you kept walking away from the starter Pokemon, eventually Pikachu showed up and you could start with him. So, but even he is like I think it's still further challenge. Yeah. Charmander, Charmeleon, Charizard. Classic pick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who would be your celebrity crush? Uh, nowadays... Oof. Nowadays. Damn, celebrities just aren't... Oh, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson? Yeah. What, what is it? Is it the, um... The Black Widow character? Is it short hair? The eyes, uh, just all around beautiful woman. Yeah, just all all around beautiful woman. Um, I guess she has a bit of a Marilyn Monroe thing. I suppose. Not that I ever really thought about Marilyn Monroe, but and then uh, I guess she sort of looked a lot like one of my exes. So you know, it's like just one of those things. And then and then I remember that she was actually dating. somebody who worked in advertising who you know the degrees of separation became so small that like in this bizarre part of my brain I was oh my god she's dating somebody who like would be working alongside me or could be working alongside me that's just weird oh you're torturing yourself man (laughs) I mean nowadays I don't you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that I have a celebrity crush, but like, she, she is definitely, uh, she's definitely out there. And when I was, I guess when I was younger, like, cr- like proper crushing, like when you sort of have, when you like watch something and you're like, hello, I feel something. Um, I was, I had this thing for Lilo in, uh, in, uh, what the fuck is that Bruce Willis movie? Ugh. Uh, the sci-fi with Luke that Luke Besson directed. 
Uh, oh the- yes. Oh, I don't. Oh my god, what was that name? Yeah, yeah, I know which one. I know which one. Yeah, yeah. Fifth Element. I apologise. It's getting like some. I'm. Uh, my brain is going. But uh, Fifth Element with Bruce Willis and. Uh, oh, uh, Milia Jovovich. The Fifth Element. Yes. Yeah. Milia Jovovich. But it wasn't Milia Jovovich. Her name right now. Uh, it wasn't her no, no. so much as it was as the character Lila. Um, for some reason, I had like a thing. Like I was like, I remember going to see it at the movies, and I was like, I need to come back and watch this movie like five times. Um, so that was like a proper crush, no. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Scarlet. I think Scarlet. Scarlet is my girl. Okay. All right. We'll lock that in. Sweet as. Well, you're a UK boy. Um, just because you've got that, would you? It sounds really good if you were knighted in some way. You know, like the process of being knighted, Sir Born Free, feels like it would stick. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, not yeah, I should be knighted, but uh, Saborn Free. <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. Because they, they started calling me Mr. Born Free at, uh, when I was hosting at ESL with Sejam and uh, David and Ultra David and James Chen and uh, Tasty Steve. Every time they went over to me, they would, be, they would call me Mr. Born Free as opposed to Born Free. And um, at some point, I sort of was considering whether I should just change my name, my gamertag, or whatever you want to call it, my pseudonym to Mr. Born Free. But uh, Sir Born Free. Because um, you're English. English. It just, it kind of like, it fits. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Good. But, but, I, but I feel the thing is, like, because I am English and because there are people who are knighted, it just feels like weird to call yourself sir like even in a jokey way mm. it feels it feels weird because like there are genuine people like being that knighted. knighted i guess yeah. i guess the way so that, like, i guess the way that they judge how you get knighted as well oh i made platinum rank oh sir born free mm. if i ever make grandmaster then i should definitely get knighted do you know anyone that has been um, knighted or given like special awards of that kind? Not really. I don't think so. Oh, uh, okay. Well, my granddad. <sighs> so the story goes that my grand, so my granddad was on my dad's side was a civil engineer and a very good one, and he worked for a company called Sir William Halcrow and Partners or whatever. And um, everybody who made it to partner, usually, uh, this is my understanding, I'm not like an expert on this, but everybody who made it to partner usually got knighted. Um, the story goes that he might have been knighted, but he had a very, he had very strong political views because he actually grew up in Northern Ireland. Um, but, you know, this was told to me a long time ago kids so i don't totally know but that's about as close as it as it gets like i don't know anyone who has been given any special titles so it is rumored that you could be from an ancient royal line (laughs) yeah i don't know about royal but yeah sure uh it's it's definitely rumored that my granddad potentially could have been knighted if it wasn't for his political views so it actually kind of sounds like it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of 
I don't know, it's interesting because I feel like I'm one of those people who will say stuff these days and not really care too much about the consequences. <laughs> you know, not nasty stuff, but you know, there's lots of you know there there are there are ways to navigate the fighting game community, um, and particularly when it comes to like I want to be a host or I want to make money being a commentator or whatever, right? Mm. Uh, various ways, you know, but you know there are definitely or I want to work for Capcom, you know, uh, or I want to be sponsored and. For sure, you know, as things get more esportsy, it will become more business-like. And you know, if you're sponsored by somebody, or you're not going to talk shit about them. Um, but I, I do feel like sometimes there are some things where I will just speak out because I'm just like, well, I don't know, I can't pop. You know, like Capcom is a really interesting one because for years growing up. I felt like, wouldn't it be cool if I worked for Capcom? What a cool company that is, you know. Grew up, Cap absolute Capcom fanboy, all the games when I was a kid, they're amazing. Like Capcom logo when it came up, you know, on the SNES, like, I just thought it was the most amazing thing, the sound and the games and that sort of stuff. And then when I got here and became, had more of a voice, there was a lot of people who said, you should, you should go to Capcom, you should go work for Capcom, you should be... Uh, the community manager or whatever, right? And um, there's even been times when they've had like jobs available where it's been hinted at from people who work in the industry that I should go apply for this job or whatever. Um, but it hasn't stopped me from saying the things that I need to say about Street Fighter. You've kept your integrity. You know? I mean, I, I guess, like, you know, I also know what it's like to work for companies. I know how it works. You know, uh, when we can't all act like, like, like it's not important to have a job, to get paid, to have responsibilities. You know, um, but there is something about Street Fighter that makes me want to speak out. There's something about the hit my history with that game that makes me want to to say in a respectful way hey this game this version of the game isn't up to scratch you know particularly uh, you know the way it was delivered when it was first delivered you know so bare bones so lacking in love and passion and attention to detail and user experience and and intuitiveness and you know all that stuff that goes with it. I've made plenty of videos about it. And I think that if I had, if I had sort of felt like, oh, you know, I wanna have a job at Capcom, I wouldn't have said any of those things, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's definitely a part of me that prioritized, uh, I don't know, prioritized what I felt was right over, you know, potentially trying to move into it a job with those guys um, but you know maybe I never maybe I've never job at, but it's just something that people are always were always talking to me about always you know occasionally people who were, who worked within Capcom 
sort of suggested mm. certain things, you know, um, in the past. Uh, but it, it, yeah, I, I just feel what's more important is Capcom gets the message and understands what they need to do to to get back on top, you know, in fighting games. And I really, 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 really and that's to me is the most important thing yeah um, so yeah and f- but uh but I don't think I'm gonna get knighted for that <laughs> and finally man who is your fighting game waifu uh be cammy for sure because you know, before Street Fighter 4, I guess, or before, I mean, it just, there weren't, weren't many female characters. Oh, Street Fighter 3, me. I mean, back in the Street Fighter 2 days, there was Channeling, and then there was Cammy. And Cammy is English, well, English or British, I'm not really sure. I think she's English. Yeah. But, um, I used to, so it used to be Cammy, getting wifey. But, uh, just for a second to see if it's anyone else now. Um, it was Android 18, Android 18 for a little bit. Uh, and then there's like, I'm trying to think on the, oh, I know who it is, sorry. I knew there was a reason I was stalling. That's okay. Uh, it's Kareem, it's Kareem, or Karin. You just like all the blondies, uh, don't you? Well, kind of. It's weird, because when I was growing up, I was desperately in love with a lot of nets. Uh, uh, brown eyes, brown, brown hair, first girl I ever loved, brown eyes, brown hair. And I just thought brunettes were amazing. Uh, and then weirdly, uh, you know, throughout life, I would end up with blondes, you know? Like I'd end up, <laughs> I would end up dating blondes, even though I was like, damn, I really want to go out with like a, you know, a brunette. It's like the universe is trying to steer you in the right direction. I guess. And then uh, Kareen is, you know, one of my ex-girlfriends was so kind of a bit haughty torty you know like a bit posh and a bit and a bit rude yeah people um it's fine with me I mean, she was super nice with me until we broke up which turned into total bitch but um you know when we were going out you know, she was kind of sweet but kareen or karen however you want to pronounce it she she is i just love all of her quote i think i think she's such a She's so kind of like above everyone else. <laughs> she's so posh, uh, you know, a bit, you know, she's just got that attitude. I kind of think is, kind of think is cool. It's like the way, so she, probably the way she carries herself. Yeah, it's just kind of like, she, I don't know. There's, she's, she's sort of, she's like the spoiled rich kid, you know, but uh, and she's a little, she, the way she talks to people, she talks down, you know, like, I mean, they all do, that's what they do as fighters. Mm. Like, a lot of their, their, their talking, they sort of talk down to each other. Um, but she's especially good at it, I feel. That she, she's good at talking down to people in a way that you, I just think really... And she has servants and stuff, you know? <laughs> people to clean up after her, yeah. Yeah, and then, like if you if you if you were to date her or marry her, you'd just you'd be set you'd be set for life. 
Born Free, thank you so much for your time and for your tales. Uh, is there anything you want to say? Any final words or shout outs? Uh, just uh, thank you to you, really. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's been fun. The questions have been really interesting, I think. Um, and, you know, I wish you all the best for the future. And I wanted to say um, thanks to, you know, anyone listening to this podcast. I guess particularly in you, uh, who watches my stuff or supports me, um, that means a lot to me. And if you ever get a chance, you see me at a convention, come say hello. Because uh, I always like to thank people in person. Um, because, that, you know, it's what it boils down to really is people support your work and tell you, and especially if they tell you they support your work, it means, it means you keep going, it means you keep wanting to do better work because ultimately what's the point of doing it if you're not contributing something if you if people aren't enjoying it so it's good to hear when people uh enjoy it so, oh and then the other thing is if you get a chance please do follow me my stream because that's my new thing streaming and uh, i promise it's going to be a lot of fun and it's a born free twitch it's a super creative name. Born free Twitch. Yeah. <laughs> super creative name came out with myself. Free Twitch. So one of the things I found out when uh, when every time I joined a new social media, you know, app or whatever, right? I would just go, all right, well, let's just call this Born Free Tweets or Born Free whatever, you know. And I found out that some of the apps won't allow you to include their name in your handle. Like it's an impossibility, like they won't let um, And I don't know if it's because you know, people can write things like PlayStation sucks or, or whatever, but like I found that, you know, cause I'm pretty sure Born, born uh, I think you can write Born Free Twitter. In fact, I, I might use that one. Born Free Tweets sounds better. Uh, Born Free Twitch, they allow you to say Twitch. But I'm pretty sure I had Born Free PlayStation at some stage, but I wouldn't let PlayStation in the name. Um, it's, very, it's very interesting like how some of them keep make sure that you can't possibly denigrate their name by having it in your game tag. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, if people, can, if, if people want to follow me anywhere, it's either a Born Free Tweets or you know, I'm on YouTube as well. Yeah, definitely. Please follow. Please look this man up on Twitch. Born Free, thank you again so much, dude. To everyone who's listened, take care and we'll see you another time.